0: This is the daily practice podcast with Crystal Borelli
1: and Andrea Hellman.
0: Well, again, we have Julia McCabe on the podcast with us today. Thank you, Julia,
1: for being here. Thank you for having me. It's so exciting. Um, Who would like to ground us down? I'll take this one.
0: All right, so if you're in a place to close your eyes, close your eyes. Otherwise, just bring an awareness into your breathing. And from the outer layer of your body, allow yourself to become a bit more relaxed. And then take notice, or especially around your eyes, and brighten around them. The space around your heart and your chest. And then go down to your belly. Notice if you're holding and restricting inwards, you can relax that space just a little bit more. And I'll have you take a nice full belly breath in. So fill your belly up, allow your breath to rise up towards your upper lungs. Part your lips at the very top and slowly release out the breath. I'm gonna do that again. So fill up your belly all the way up to your upper lungs, the pause and suspension at the top, and then part your lips and offer a breath out that's soft and sweet, even grounding. Again, I'm a sucker for my own medicine, so I've already launched, so (laughs) I'll ask you to come on back. If your eyes are closed, you can open them up, and, and here we are.
1: Oh. Just like that, two breaths and and then it's all it takes. And I'm sometimes. gone. I know. I'm done. Well it's a practice, right? Yeah. Like you refine it. One thing that I thought was really interesting last week was you were talking about belief bias and I'm kind of obsessed with bias. Cause when people talk about negative bias, like how if you get a little bit of negative feedback, how it affects you at like six times the rate or something as something like positive. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I just want to know about all the biases or what are like the most interesting ones in your work with neuroscience?
2: Oh yeah, there's a lot. I mean, in terms of the subject that I'm studying right now is neuroscience and society, but then my actual research and, and paper that I'm writing is on what, like how conspiracy theories go awry and what has like the neural correlates that are related to when people believe that on... Un- a date that a spaceship is going to, that's kind of like implausible explanation of what could happen if, you know, the world's going to end, UFOs are going to pick you up at this date. And then looking at what happens when they're disappointed, you know, there's this fascinating study that was done in and around that time. Um, uh, it's called the May 21st study, if you want to Google it, when we are typically in a state of fear, anxiety, or duress, we are in our stress response system. And when we're in our stress response system, that puts us in a vulnerable window to be able to basically we're vulnerable to information coming in, including uh, false information that we don't know that is false. So even when individuals, when they're presented with confounding information, so someone who deeply believes that on a date, alien or UFO is going to pick them up on a date because the world's going to blow up on a certain day even if they then are presented with the next day when they're still alive and they're presented with this information that is conflicting with this deep-seated belief that they've had for a year or six months or what have you, uh, we there's almost like a protective... Our brain on a neurological level doesn't want to believe it because it requires energy to then have to relearn a whole new belief again. So that's why when someone, even if it seems implausible, the worst thing that you can say to them is that's completely wrong. You're an idiot. You like, don't think that way why you know putting someone down to believe in something is not a good approach it's the best approach is listening to all everybody's aspects even if it seems implausible and then there's plausible conspiracy theories right so there's almost like this sliding scale of conspiracy for example watergate back in was that back in the 60s with mm-hmm. Nixon, right? It was a while ago. That, you know, they, that was considered a conspiracy theory and then it was found to be true. So mm-hmm. then there are ones that are considered to eventually they, there's truth that comes from that. But looking at, you know, when someone is in that state of deep belief and then the disappointment and the shame and all of that. So there's a, there's a in terms of the answer to belief bias, that's what I'm currently steeped in is looking at mm why it is that we resist incoming information and really like when we look at the most recent contentious one of people, you know, pro and against the V word (laughs) vaccine. Right. And then the, the, the collision of interests and, and the fear, like, that's the first thing I came up. I'm like, this sounds like COVID. Yeah. Oh, the Mm -hmm.
0: whole thing that went down. It's like, bring in fear, bring in Mm -hmm. all these things and then people question it, but it's, yeah, it, you just explained the last couple of years.
2: Yeah. And that there's, I think that anytime we're in a fear state and we aren't doing things to ground us, we are vulnerable, but we have to remember that our brain and our nervous system is vulnerable to any kind of incoming information that is in a way like a quick hit. Even if we aren't presented supportive evidence, we'll believe something that is Kind of, uh, it makes sense in that moment, and it's this window, this vulnerable window, and it fulfills really our desire to control things. And there's this desire in our nervous system to, our brain is constantly trying to make sense of the world, mm-hmm. and it's trying to constantly feel safe. And so when we're seeking safety, we will believe something initially that might come in right away. Um, and so that's where you know, on both sides, you know, like, and I hate using the word term sides because. Um, I just Mm -hmm. think that where we've made the mistake is just being able to be at comfort with all sides and all, you know, I'm a double vaccinated person, but then my best friend had a stroke because of a vaccine, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I was fully all pro not to get on the Mm -hmm. vaccine topic, but you know, I was fully pro for it. And then that happened and he's now debilitated for who knows how long. And Mm -hmm. so, and it was, it was public health had actually officially said, yeah, it's because you had the Pfizer vaccine two weeks ago. And so, and, but I'm, I was open to all of it, you know? And so it's just, I believe it that that's an example of that all sides matter and that, um, you know, I think everyone's so so sick of talking about that. But in general, I think the lesson <laughs> moving forward is that division <clears throat> and di- divisiveness mm-hmm. is not the solution because it puts us into that fear state that also taxes our nervous system that then puts mm-hmm. us in a vulnerable place, for many things, including misinformation or just shut down, judging, mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. that.
0: Mm-hmm. It's like a lifeline. Like if you're in that fear state, then whatever comes in, you're like, oh, that's a lifeline. I'm going to jump onto that because that truth, even though it might not be true, is going to save me pretty much. Like mm-hmm. yeah. I, can, yep. I can attach onto that. And I'm going to defend that to the fucking end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like they call it, um, they decide, what was it? The W-E-F, they just said it. They said it was um,
1: biohacking. They're like,
0: oh, we figured out how to do it.
1: mm Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. i think i think (laughs) i think it would be irresponsible though not to talk about it like i don't think i don't Mm -hmm. like saying oh no we can't talk about covid and it's Mm -hmm. like well you kind of do have to talk about it Mm -hmm. or it's just gonna happen again or yeah you know yeah i never felt like i was super pro one of my good friends has done two different uh university sciences like is you know and she was like I think we just felt depleted. Like, what is our other option? Like, we kind of have to roll the dice. I think we mm-hmm. always felt like we were just, like, rolling the dice and that we felt like we didn't have options. Mm-hmm. kind of just believed in the hope that, like, believed in us as, mm-hmm. like, people trying to take care of each other versus, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, and let's admit it. We've, if there is a, a, a test to test
2: us as, you know, whatever, almost 8 billion and probably counting or, you know, nearing 8 billion, we failed. We miserably we failed, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I didn't and, trust the people. You know, and, and I, I just, I just think, oh, yeah, okay. I just think that in terms of, but I, by that, I mean, we failed the test of something, and I hate to say it, of something probably worse that's going to happen, mm. you know, of unity and acceptance. And mind you, it, it's ridiculous, our population now. So to get all 8 billion people on board to an oh. idea or concept is ridiculous to ask of everybody, but... You know, we haven't even gotten into the inequalities and the inequities of our planet and people who don't even have their primary needs, which, you know, basically Water. accounts for 80% <laughs> of our planet right now. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think that that's, you know, a massive issue. And then that, that's where I just, you know, I, I wish that all of the leaders that I sat down before UN meetings or WHO meetings or, you know, governmental leading meetings and, and sat down, I know this sounds so kitsch and so hippie to say, but sat sat down and did some fucking breath work, you know, and sat t- together and connected as human beings, not as
1: mm-hmm.
2: pompous assholes for the most part. Yeah.
1: Well, you kind of just, you yeah. know,
2: and like just, and, you know, and I hate to say it, but it's, oh gosh, I'm going to go on a, off on a feminist rant
1: here. But, <laughs> I like
2: it. it's but when you, if I was to say, you know, somebody just got, somebody was just murdered, you know, or our, I hate to say it, but our mind goes immediately to a man, you know, or when you think about political leaders, what do they count for 90% of, you know, maybe growing a little bit more, but in terms of leaders and politics, sciences, maths, in a way, that's why I got into science, because there aren't enough women in science or of all genders in science, you know, so it's just... <laughs> big old sigh. No, keep
1: but, going. You know, yeah. I
2: just think that that's. You know, I think that they're and and I feel for men as well. I just listened to a, spe- a spectacular podcast, Dax Shepard Shepherd and um,
1: Julie and I are big fans. of yeah, Dax. Dax. Yeah, I Dax, love Dax
2: Shepherd. He's amazing. Yeah, he interviewed yes. Scott, that Scott Gala- is it Galloway Professor I think Galloway. So. Yeah, who did a talk on men and boys and how they're f- facing a crisis. And I, mm. it is so on point. Mm-hmm. What he says mm-hmm. in that podcast was. Mm-hmm. he couldn't and he was so professional and so uh, no not not one sided but just you know the the crisis facing boys and men
1: mm-hmm. well i think it's that whole pendulum concept too yeah. right like affirmative action all that like boom you did it i think a lot of good came from it but now you really need to think about not just like bringing that pendulum all the way over cuz then it creates a lot of inequality in a different area yes, like you exactly. need to to like slowly bring it out or like mm-hmm. bring everybody up. So it's, mm-hmm. which I think is kind of his thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, be there for the boys and, mm-hmm. and helping these men.
2: Yeah. And that's why I love when I have men come into my programs or men who are doing my stuff online. It's, mm-hmm. I I'm so happy because I just think, yes, thank you for Same. being a leader in this and not being afraid of it. Cause mm-hmm. cause some and I'm not, I am not—I don't want to speak binary here, but I think a lot of men still, you know, in the maybe older generations are still, oh, like this, like, oh, <laughs> this <laughs> frou-frou, like, oh, it's not going to work. Or, you know, and just brush it off, you know, and like 40 plus year olds. <laughs> but there's still a lot of attitude around mm. these
1: wellness practices. So last week when you had the I did list, mm-hmm. I was told to write a stop doing list. Mm, Like things are going to stop doing. That's a good one. Yeah. What would be on yours? Over striving. Oh, that's a good one. One of the coping techniques. So how are you going to cope or how are you going to regulate yourself so you don't need to strive? I'll strive to not strive. (laughs) (laughs) Why do you think you strive? Uh, Because I find like labeling gets hard too because I'm like, are you really striving or are you the product of two teachers and you're just constantly mm-hmm. curious? Mm-hmm. I don't know.
2: Yeah. the product, I like that you remembered my parents are both teachers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, well, my dad wasn't much of a striver. <laughs> my dad cruised.
1: <laughs> what, was he the uh, shop teacher? What was he teaching? He, no,
2: my dad was, you know, he's done with teaching me or the end, but oh, my poor papa, he, he won't be listening to this. But um, I think it comes from... a place with, and I will admit something here, with yoga being in it for so long, and I think there's part of me that just wants to keep evolving, 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 and not be bound to just yoga teacher box, that I strive to continuously learn about other subjects, other topics, other arenas, other niches, other, you know, the neuroscience thing, math, going back to school. And that's where there's a deep desire to continue to strive and being and anybody out there who's their own business owner and entrepreneur, you have to fucking hustle. So there's the str- natural striving that you don't have a choice. You have to keep striving to bring <laughs> home the bills or to bring home the bacon to pay, pay bills, etc. So, um, so it's maybe a product of my environment and my choices and my work and my, for sure. My personality that I like goals. I do well with, I'm a goal oriented person.
1: Hmm. That's good. but about you, Crystal? You got some vices.
2: Yeah. So I'd
0: say I would agree
1: with Julia, but
0: mine goes um, deeper and not in the way of, that yours wasn't deep. I mean, deeper in the way of like, it comes from trauma mm-hmm. <laughs> or it comes from this um, old belief system that I am not good enough. Now I'm working on that. That's mm-hmm. definitely like not really there anymore. Um, but I keep striving to learn, to grow so that I'm continuously, uh, I guess, recognized and yes, to the relevance, but also that I'm held at this like level of, oh, she knows her shit. She's well-educated in her field. Cause I mean, it's not like you, which I love in India, you can get a PhD in yoga, like Swami Vishvektu did my other teacher, but, um, but here that's not recognized, right? Like, I think you can.
1: Yeah, in India, you can get a PhD, sure. But But remember Maeve, who we did the yoga with, and Mm -hmm. her brother has a PhD in heavy metal. (laughs) Legit. Yeah. badass.
0: Yeah. Like Maeve Jones? Yeah. Yeah. And she's a triplet. Oh, I did know that. But it wasn't part of
1: her triplet. It's her older brother. I think that is the doctor of heavy metal.
0: Okay, I'm going to look into it. Okay, well, maybe yeah. I'm going to create the yoga PhD <laughs> and
2: something I'm going to strive towards. Dude, if you make a yoga PhD program manual, you'll be like a 100 years old before oh, that's you true. <laughs> launch
1: where's, it. There's Crystal doing a uh, manual?
2: Oh, so good.
1: You could probably get your PhD in mantra. I think you're... Mm-hmm. You've got No, there's so much still to learn. There's always a lot to learn, though, there's I think. So much to learn.
0: But don't you feel like the, to write down like the negative is, because this idea of writing down something is like, I mean, unless you like cross it out or you burn it, but mm. from my understanding, if like you were to vocalize all the things you don't want to do, the universe doesn't hear don't, it just hears the other part of it. So it's like, we're going to bring in that negativity. So to like write down all the negative stuff, unless you burn it or bury it or do something, it's still going to be like, it's planting a seed where it's like the, using your voice, using your affirmation, using your thoughts. Cause you know, things come into fruition that way. So is there another
1: part yeah, of know. that
0: or is it just write down,
1: stop doing all these things? Um, well, I didn't want to, I wanted it to be pretty like broad. So it was like, stop scrolling, stop, uh, procrastinating. And mm-hmm. so now when I notice I do stuff, I'm like, stop it. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and then to switch, but what would be like a positive cue then?
0: Well, the opposite of that, like what Krishmacharya says, like to shift the negative patterns into a new positive pattern. So instead of being like, S- stop doing this, instead of being like, I'm going to achieve this.
1: <laughs> I don't know. So if I notice I'm, just I'm getting lost up. in my like Instagram feed, then like, what's the, like, what is the signal to my brain that I am scrolling? And I well, am
0: the moment you notice that you're doing it, choose to stop doing it.
1: Yeah. Choice, power of choice, power of choice. Okay. I like it. Um, it's kind of interesting too, when we're talking about like the younger generation and I was listening to a podcast today where he's kind of saying how people will hate on technology. Like the phones are like eroding our brains and this and that. And it's like, well, no, they are doing a lot of good as well. Mm -hmm. But I think it's, um, I don't know, like having healthy boundaries like within it. So Mm -hmm. it's not controlling you or yeah, I am kind of scared of AI and robots Mm -hmm. taking over our lives. Yeah. And I think that
2: there's been a lot of new information feeding into people you know the the publishing of dopamine nation and people knowing what dopamine is and there's a lot of been a lot of attention paid to how you get a dopamine hit every time you get a like and all of that so mm-hmm. there's that it's really interesting to see how that neuro speak has made its way into mainstream mm conversation in mainstream media mainstream social media, pe- most people know that dopamine is a feel-good drug. They'll reference it that way in your brain. Mm-hmm. But what people don't know is that you have a, ba- like a bounty of neurotransmitters that are all kind of, are all being stimulated and, and do definitely go awry when there's that, um, that excess screen time that's happening. There's a lot of different things that you can do if you have the willingness and the interest to mm-hmm. take control of technology, but it's true. A lot of us are cornered, myself included, when your business is online, when you're, you know, your people, yeah. you have to be sending newsletters and pumping up your products and your, what you want to do and love to do requires being online and answering messages mm-hmm. on Instagram. So even when you want to escape, you have to be on it. So that, that there's that necessity of drawing those healthy boundaries.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I don't blink. I guess <laughs> you don't blink <laughs> when I'm on the computer. Oh, I get so hyper fixated mm-hmm. on it mm-hmm. and I'm starting to go insane from it. I just yeah. had like my, uh, cause I noticed in the summer I started to have like red eyes mm-hmm. and then I was talking to a homeopath and she was saying it was from probably like not blinking. And then when I got my eyes checked, he said, yeah, like my ducks aren't really working anymore. Mm. And Oh no. Uh, yeah. I fried myself. I think. Mm i been like trying to consider what to do with my life now. Oh, <laughs> oh <laughs> okay. Like the screen is crazy or, yeah. you know,
0: a lot of your stuff's on the computer too, like everything.
2: Mm-hmm. And are you desiring to be more in real life with people?
1: Well, that's why I really like podcasting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then I took a break and was like, I need to work. And so I worked and then it was quite draining mm-hmm. for sure. And mm-hmm. so now, um, but yeah. Trying to like figure out how to make things like sustainable. So mm-hmm. I'm like doing things that nurture me
2: yeah, yeah, and
1: aren't necessarily, um, you know, mm-hmm. converting to paying my mortgage, mm-hmm. but exactly. that fill me up. It's yeah. Finding like that balance always. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It
0: sounds like to create more of a balance in your life, more of like, um, moderation and like have your work hours, but then take time to go into the woods and, you know, mm-hmm. get like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, He's going and moving in a different direction.
1: Before you got here, we were talking about that. Like with with me not having a dog anymore. It's yeah, it's yeah. Like sometimes I won't actually leave the house. Well, I just I was just speaking to
2: this. I did some Instagram post on how, uh, for individuals who may not necessarily want to meditate, ninety minutes of walking the woods mm. will calm the default mode network and will. 90 soften. minutes is
1: a long time. 90
2: minutes is a long time. There's probably, you could probably do it less than, but it's
1: dog good. walkers
2: in particular, in general, you probably did a bunch of walks that yeah, accumulated for to sure. 90 minutes. And King's College London, my school, they just did, they released a recent recent uh, research piece that specific to the sound of chirping birds had... The same kind of impact as an antidepressant when Aww. individuals listen specifically to birds chirping. It has right. this, this connection to nature. Yeah. Um, dare I say more so than wind or ocean? Or for me, I love all the sounds of nature, but there's something about birds that is very, like, sweet little birds. And you know, when for for those of you who've traveled quite a bit, when you think about beaches or jungle, or yeah. there's They're, something that connects us to that innate primordial part of us, right? And deep to our Mm-hmm. nervous systems. Okay, I yeah. like it. Chirping I love birds. that. Yeah. yeah. I think
0: nature in general, like Yeah. That's course, like yeah. the first thing if people are like feeling stuck, I'm mm-hmm. like go take a walk mm-hmm. in the woods, like Exactly. Cuz it's like you're it's coming back home, mm-hmm. you know, to mm-hmm. your natural quality and natural self. I think mm-hmm. it's the, was
2: it the primordial Hopi tradition or Hopi Hopi Hopi. Yeah, the Hopi uh, tradition, they think the the natural antidote for depression is wake up in the morning and walk toward the sun.
0: Oh, oh, of course it is. Yeah, like that. My parents got, um,
2: granted into the Hopi uh, tribe. Of course they did. Yeah. <laughs> oh, t- tell, us, tell us about it.
0: In New Mexico. Yeah, my mom lived with them for, um, a long time, the Hopi tribe. And that's where, um my mom, she had, that's where her, that's why she had a teepee. That's why we lived in a teepee because it came from the Hopi tribe people that she lived with. And I have dad as he's a writer as well, which is really cool. And he wrote a beautiful story about, um, one of the ceremonies with them, um, going down into, I can't. there's a name for it. I don't know the name for it, but it's basically like in the desert, and then it's basically like caverns in the ground that you mm-hmm. go down, and there's ceremonies that you go down the ladders, and there's like full ceremonies going on down there. Mm-hmm. I think drugs are involved, and <laughs> <laughs> my dad talked talked about my mom is like an antelope. <laughs> oh Boy,
2: and there's something Anyways, going down. Vision quest. Something's, something's going. Uh, oh yeah, yeah,
0: definitely vision quest. Anyhow, my
2: first dog, her name was Hopi. Um. Okay, how do we bring this back on track? I could share ten or some neural myths. I just posted this on Instagram last week. So maybe repeat, but That's that they're r- that yeah. the, okay, I'll say, so listeners at home, you can listen. It. It's true or false. So true or false. You only use 10% of your brain. False. I don't know. I thought it was true.
0: Apparently it is true, but I'm thinking that it has to be false.
2: No, it's 100% false. So all of (laughs) neuroscience (laughs) research would be completely in the garbage if that was true. So when you put someone in an fMRI machine, you can see all areas of the brain from brainstem all the way up to the cortex is being 100% used. And so it goes back to, I think it was, is it William James? He was a philosopher and he said something, it goes back to, So whatever he was around (laughs) in the 1920s or 30s, he said something along the lines of, we only use 10% of our potential Mm. as humans and people, it was like the nasty game of telephone and people reworked it into, we only use 10% of our brains. Then it was in Hollywood, of course, in movies and et cetera, it was used. And, and I remember believing that before I studied any of this and I was like, oh, that makes sense that we have all this capacity. There's nothing that's, there's all this space that's not being used. It is a
1: hundred percent false. Wow. That's so cool. But do you (laughs) think, but do you think like we have the ability to change? So when people say, oh, that is true. Like we are only using 10%. Do you think your brain stops working to like fulfill like that thought? I don't know.
0: Mm. I have a question so then we use (laughs) (laughs) so I have a question so we use 100% of our brain yes okay yeah but (laughs) so what about like people that are like telepathic and stuff like or that have like clairvoyance and like things like that because that has to be part of the brain in the way of like being able to like be mediums and like that has to be some sort of the brain recognition of
2: to be See able if, to like tap in that way. I think from a neuroscientific perspective, they would talk about something is happening in the brain where someone is having, and I hate to say it, but they would talk about delusional thinking. If somebody was hearing voices or going, they would talk about, um, what, what's happening in the brain in the, whether it's an imbalance or there's something going on in the prefrontal cortex or there's, you know, for example, um, voices or hallucinations are often, you know, um, like a condition that goes hand in hand with, for example, schizophrenia. So a neuroscientist, somebody, not necessarily me, who is both, right, mm-hmm. would say we would have to look at what's happening to that in terms of the brain, the what's happening to the brain on that level. Um, and, and then, but I hear what you're saying in terms of... Like psychics and things like that, because that's not a hallucination. Mm-hmm. But
0: that's also talking a little bit more magic, and that's mm-hmm. out of the box of mm-hmm. neuroscience, I would assume. Mm-hmm.
2: I think that it, like beyond the box of neuroscience, there's a lot of things that we can't explain, you know, and I think that, yeah, that we are like, yeah. I but mean, why we, do
1: we need to explain it too? We, and that, that's just I it. Wonder. Like
2: there's in terms mm-hmm. of like our brain, if we were just to isolate our central nervous system in its capacity, what I believe is that, so this is what I believe. I believe that we use a hundred percent of our brain. However, we are limited by the conditions of our anatomy. So yes, we use 100% of our brain, but for example, there are certain species in nature that are able to see in the dark or they can hear 100 times greater than whatever times more than humans. So because of that, we, we prime ourselves to be the superior species when in fact... You know, I would say that we aren't, <laughs> you I would, know, I and, on that. it's one, a Jules. very egotistical way <laughs> of thinking We're that we gossips. are the center of the universe. And we have de- definitely developed in terms of the evolution of homo sapiens and being able to walk and do all these things and make tools and build things, etc. So we have this, you know, ability to have consciousness and choice and f- free will, although that could be argued as well. But I think that when it comes down to, uh, you know, what we don't know, is also limited inherently by our biology. So that's where, what we are unable to, for example, you know, fully understand the capacity of what is out there in our universe, for example. So we don't know it all at all. And so who is to say, we still don't know everything about the brain. That's one thing I can say as well, hundred percent. We don't know the actual capacity of our brain. So for example, since, you know, 1990, it was really the era of the brain and the era of neuro- neuroscience in the development of neuroimaging, neurotechnology, fMRI machines that look at what's happening in the brain. We we understood, um, you know, in the 1990s and 2000s, what is neuroplasticity? That's new. Something mm-hmm. called neurogenesis. That's new. All of these massive in- understandings, the development of SSRIs or the development of more antidepressants and antipsychotic medication, all these things, this is all new but we still don't know so much. And we are limited inherently by our biology that we can't through our five senses can't possibly be seeing it all. And therein for me lies where potential spirit or the God molecule, we, we can't fully understand it because our, our biology limits us from seeing it. Mm. And that's what I think because you know, mm-hmm. um, that's where anything is possible. Right. And you, there's, I've had crazy phenomenal things happen and you know ghost experiences and spirit experiences that can't possibly explain be explained that are so fucking cool you know and keep me yeah. and it keeps my hope alive that i personally think it's depressing if there's not more than what our eyes can see right now then you know you yeah, what are it's we just just a hallucination i'd be I mean, uh, like oh for fuck's sakes yeah <laughs> and we don't know you know yeah. some people think that we just die and that's it you know and there's yeah. nothingness and
1: but energy has to go somewhere. We do know that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's like um that guy like man search for meaning the that book that was written in the Auschwitz.
0: Auschwitz, yeah.
1: And then yeah, he was just saying these people that are like living off of nothing, like they're basically just living off of hope, and that was the only mm. different differentiating mm-hmm. factor for the people that made it and yeah. didn't make it. Yeah. And he. I think he was like a psychotherapist. Mm
0: -hmm. Didn't you talk about like the importance of like the clean shave? Like didn't, wasn't there something about shaving the face Mm -hmm. and like how there was like the simplest act was like something to hold on to. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. that. Or we talked about about that around the food, like, okay, you're eating just plain rice and the people that's like, that's not really nourishing. But some people are like, no, this is everything that my body needs. And basically doing a prayer to the food and then being like, okay, And those people, like, strived with health better than the people that didn't.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting, too, when you can eat, like, the best food in the world, but if your, like, system is not level enough, you can't absorb anything because you're Mm -hmm. so out of whack. And One of my
2: teachers, Tawari G., he would say that in terms of Ayurveda, how you prepare your food you know, whom is preparing it or, and how, you know, the, the, the attention that is going into it, mm-hmm. you feel when you eat angry food and you yeah. <laughs> feel when you eat loving food. Totally, It's like why, it, yeah. why, you know, a good friend or a mom or, you know, your partner, when they make you food with love, you can mm-hmm. feel it. Yeah. And there is that, that anything that is done consciously with intention, I think is going to be all the more rich. It lands in our Biology in our body, you totally. know, in
1: that embodied way. Do you guys watch screens when you eat? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I told Adele that today was the last day we were gonna do that. Tomorrow is mm-hmm. a new day. Mm-hmm. We're gonna sit at this table. Yeah,
0: that's a yeah, good practice. That, mm-hmm. That's a big thing is um, feeding people. Like mm-hmm. that's like a, ba- a foundational like root chakra. Like mm-hmm. your foundational need is being met with food. Mm-hmm. Like everybody needs it to survive, and mm-hmm. it's a very like comforting it's a very beautiful gesture to feed mm. somebody oh
2: it's the best My gift love when language someone makes me food mm-hmm. i'm in love i don't yeah. care who it is <laughs> mm-hmm. crystal made me yeah. meal i'm like i'm in love with you but There's, it's the same it's i love making
1: yeah what's the second um myth neuro myth
2: okay true or false you can describe someone as being left-brained or right-brained. So, for example, someone who has a math brain versus an artsy creative brain.
1: True, True. or false? Andrea? Well, now I just want to say false.
2: <laughs> false. Uh, Shut the fuck up. Yeah, I'm so, pretty sure
1: they're all going to be false. No, <laughs> so
2: no. I disagree with this. Oh my gosh! So this is where there's like tell me why. Tell me why I shouldn't. But it's the
1: basic teaching, all-encompassing yin yang.
2: So it's very, so it's very true because the brain. So, for example, when you're engaged in a creative activity or you're engaged in a mathematical activity, it's engaging various networks of the brain. It's not just like the left side shuts down and the right side is doing the task that's oriented to... I get the right side, left side mixed up all the time, like creative versus um, mathematical brain, that you can look at patterns in the brain and say for sure when someone is focusing on mathematics they're learning math so they will get stronger in math because they're working at these specific the encoding that is required within the brain if you learn anything there's going like a specific memory task and it doesn't necessarily um you know but the brain is so much more messier than that it's a messy organ and it's an electric, if you can think of like, um, an electric storm, right? Like that's happening when you're doing different tasks. There's no Mm. such thing as the left brain shutting down and just the right side going. Mm. Let's hear your hypothesis. (laughs) Little Missy, little Missy
0: purse lips. I agree with you on that in the way of like all of it's firing. One side doesn't shut off than the other, but like my sister Autumn, she's a Libra and she's so, um, logical and like thinks way more like so much more different than I do. Mm. And I think like, and I'm way more creative and in that like ethereal kind of realm and more Mm. like energy stuff. And she's very, it's even my husband, like, Mm -hmm. very more Mm lawyer-like. So isn't, there has to be some sort of, they're either activating that side of their brain more, or there is that, is that just a characteristic? Those are traits. Yeah. I would
2: say that, that we're talking about two different things. Like those are character traits and those are, I have different strengths than you do or vice versa to Andrea, you know? So somebody could be really a hundred percent, really strong at math and someone could be really creative. That's very common it's different when you would roll them under you would roll them into an fmri machine and see what's happening to the brain and so that's where you there would be illogical results to that so so the brain's firing for left and
0: right for that creative and as well as logical and then the other part that i'm talking about is more of those characteristics within somebody yeah which is very present but it comes off that we think it's part of the brain but that's misinformation being like it's not actually the brain it's like you're like your expression of the world or your character of, of in the world.
2: Yeah, we have traits, we have behaviors, we have things that we absorbed as a kid. And that, of course, is going to show up in terms of how we navigate through the world and then the things that we are strong at that will show up in the brain, but it's not isolated to one side or the other.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
2: I like the idea of the brain like
0: firing like a thunderstorm on mm-hmm. all the electricals. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. Mm-hmm.
1: Do you think though that we need to like, say if we are in industries or professions or hobbies that are just using accessing one side of the brain predominantly, like, do you think then we should be engaging in the other ones to kind of keep it strong? and?
2: Oh, for sure. And that's a whole other to- topic in a way. When you look at, um, learning new th- things, everybody somewhat knows what neuroplasticity is. So if, you know, for example, like being, you know, when things fire together, they wire together, which is kind of a blanket <laughs> statement and isn't necessarily always true. But the the um, that when we learn something, we will get better at that thing that we learn, and there is a learning curve, and part of that is the um, the energy that is required of the brain to learn something new, and that's a good thing. So, a hundred percent, we I think that when it comes down to just stepping away from the neurobiology of things, when it comes down to being an evolved human and being open and not becoming rigid in the ways that we're thinking, I think that it's always a good idea to learn new things. If you're somebody who's really, really, really rigid and into the maths and into the, you know, you want to exercise the part of you that's creative or the opposite of that. I think that's a healthy practice Mm -hmm. and you would see then I'm sure that there could be brain imaging studies that look at that kind of personality versus somebody who's really rigid and learning only one way. Have you found anything in the teaching's or the study
0: that you're doing right now in neuroscience around the connection to the koshas or the nadis or the vayus or like these energy systems that the yogis had talked about that have this like backup scientific connection to it, like in specific, like the koshas, the nadis, the vayus, like has there been anything
2: around that? Well, something that's really cool, something that I do at the beginning of my courses is that I'll get people to Google the nadis. And so for people listening at home, this like the nadis in yogic language are referenced as like – that um like these energetic channels from crown of head to the soles of feet, and that sometimes they go even beyond the physical body. And then some like there are thousands of highways, and they have these interconnected like little baby chakras. And then we have the major seven chakras. Well, if you just pull up just like the physical map of the nadis, and then pull up the physical map of the nervous system, lymphatic system circulatory system. It looks exactly like the nineties. Yes, natis. I've mm. seen that. It's so
0: fucking cool. Yeah. It's I
2: mean, it's, it's exactly like the natis. Yeah. So when we're looking at, okay, that's esoteric anatomy exactly maps onto our internal anatomy oh, and I all the highways. That. I
0: forgot about that. As soon as you said the pulling up, I was like, oh my God, I see it. That mm. image of yeah. like them mm-hmm. coming down. Mm
2: -hmm. so cool that one's the most obvious one that i teach at the beginning of my courses my pranayama course will say well look at this and look at this and this is why you know there's truth to that Mm -hmm. so cool
1: fuck yeah Mm -hmm.
2: and another thing is that the the chakra system i mean one of the basics that we know is that it perfectly aligns with endocrine organs yeah with the Mm -hmm. exception of the adrenals like the adrenals are down below but then we see the adrenals align with the first chakra the ovaries and testes align with the seventh chakra the pancreas is the third the thymus gland is the fourth the thyroid is the fifth the pineal and the pituitary are the sixth and the the sixth and the seventh so we have you know we have these major endocrine organs that slow drip hormones into our bloodstream slow are in perfect a perfect alignment with the chakras <clears throat> two things mm. um, the from from my teachings with um,
0: in India with Vishwaji is that he went through the chakras, but he talks about the or the glands as well. Like he goes through mm-hmm. and that's part of like the chart that they mm-hmm. speak that's to cool. these things as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. The other thing, uh, how, is, it, is it pineal or pineal? Because <laughs> I mm. always say pineal gland, it, yeah. but I've heard both. I think it's a tomato-tomato kind of thing. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. good. Yeah. Like
2: it's some people, I like yeah, so it's kind – of, yeah. they. Some people say it's because it's shaped like a pine pine cone, but it's not really shaped like a pine pine cone. Like mm-hmm. I don't think it is. It's in it's interesting where there's misinformation as people say, it's your third eye. But when you look at the actual anatomy, except it yeah, in the brain, isn't it? It's or- it's a what's called a sub like in subcortical, so deep to the the limbic system, and it sits behind this kind of hubway hub of a station called the thalamus, and it sits like a little. Like a little, like half eye almost mm-hmm. at the back of the thalamus gland, and then the pituitary comes off of the. There's a stalk of the hypothalamus and the big stalk, and then the pituitary glands are like two little, like a fisherman's string, and then two little baubles at the end of the string. Right, <laughs> those are the pituitary. So the the pineal gland isn't necessarily here. Yeah, at the beginning. but I think why they're talking about that because that's how you connect to it. Like if you do yeah. bramari
0: or you bring your focus there and you go your tongue up and you focus yeah, yeah. there, the idea is that that will stimulate yeah, that energy sure. center with the vibration. So sure, I think sure. that's the miscommunication. It's like not yeah. at the front, but mm-hmm. it's that that's the gateway to mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And even like Egyptian, didn't they talk about like the third eye, or that eye of connecting to that was secrete, like mm-hmm. even like the nectar of like the gods kind of thing.
2: Like I think um, Well, it would like it that. would help with the pituitary as well. Cause we know that the pituitary gland, like if we can, you know, in a way it's like at the roof of your mouth, like if you were to tag, go right in there, like, um. Yeah, and in terms of the pineal gland, when you close your eyes and meditate, we know that it has to do with the like taking in sunlight. So when we close our mm-hmm. eyes and shut down the the visual cortex, we it um. And at the end of the day, when there's darkness, it has. The one thing we do know, because the pineal gland is still a mystery to in within brain mm-hmm. science, all the things that it does, but it does secrete melatonin. So at the end of the day, the pineal gland will begin to secrete melatonin into the brain to give mm-hmm. us that feeling of fatigue and And so that's where why you don't want to look at screens right before bed because mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. the visual cortex says, "Oh, we're yeah. awake and then it does all these magical things yeah.
1: I wonder so what now. happens when you're blind?
2: That's a great question. Hmm. Huh? That's a great question. I have no idea, but I, I know the other. That. I don't know why I've never thought of that. Mm. That's a great question. Yeah, I mean, there's different types of blindness, you know, mm. but,
0: mm-hmm. but but like the other sense blind. but the other senses pick up too, like your hearing and your mm-hmm. sensitivity to like other things to be able to navigate, which is really interesting, right? Like mm-hmm. it's like a heightened um, sense
2: to help help you mm-hmm. because your eyesight is gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and some people who are blind still have a sensitivity they may be part, they still feel the light, you know, mm-hmm. they can still see shadows and light and et cetera. Mm-hmm. So
1: completely. Yeah. So interesting. Um, should we do a bramari breath? Get into the pineal? What do you say? You say pineal? Pineal, pineal. 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 I say pineal. Do you I think, flip?
2: I, say, I, think I flip, but I say, I so. but I, she when I say pineal. it, yeah. I say pineal, pineal, yeah. like tomato, <laughs> tomato, I'll say both.
1: Yeah. How do you say, uh, Budapest? Budapest. Okay.
0: Budapest. Why? How do you say it? Uh, or how's the other word you've heard? Budapest. It?
1: Yeah, that's how they say it. Uh, yeah.
0: Say say it again. Budapest. Budapest. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. I get. It. It's like a lot of the Sanskrit has like mm-hmm. different little
2: sh and slashes of the a's and things. Chakra versus chakra. There you go. Right. Oh, what like do you guys, sh- chakras, the North Americanized version. And no, chakra.
0: Oh, really? no, but, well, yes, okay. definitely. Okay. And um, like my mom, she um, studies traditional Chinese medicine, and in the Chinese medicine, um, they say chakras. Okay,
2: cool. Yeah.
0: Mm. So, but that, mm-hmm. and that comes from Chinese medicine. Chinese medicine. Okay. Yeah. Well, but with that said, that's where I've heard it in the West is the chakras, and then in Hinduism and. Yoga philosophy—it's
2: chakras. It's like a piece of chalk,
1: chalk, boom, chalk, chalk. Okay, <laughs> you can do a bramari?
2: Can <laughs> you try? Can <laughs> yeah, um, okay,
0: yeah. Take us away, Jules.
2: Okay, so bramari. Do you say do you sometimes say bramari? <laughs> 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 tomato tomato pineal, peniel pineal, bramari bramari bramari.
0: Uh, I say bramari, but uh, I say bramari. Okay, Bramaria.
2: Bramaria. Okay, so we know this. It's also, we call it honey bee breath or buzzing bee breath. It is good for soothing your nervous system. So for those of you at home, please make sure you don't do this while you're driving. I can say you're at home, you're maybe getting ready to go to bed or, you know, you're dropping into a meditation practice and Yeah, and in a way it makes sense that it creates this humming sound to the roof of the mouth. So one thing you want to do is relax your jaw and relax your tongue like a little pad of butter and bring your tongue to the roof of your mouth. And when you make the sound, you'll keep the tongue somewhat up there and pay attention to consciously directing the sound via the breath right to the mid-brow point, which in yoga it's called the... um, Uh, Ajna chakra or the third eye and we visualize it biologically as just like humming into the brain and we know that the humming sound also stimulates the vagus nerve which brings us back online and makes us feel safe and settled and you just think about maybe when you're a little kid and you got lullaby to sleep or when we hum it's a natural um, response to self-soothing so that's a little bit of behind the scenes and so i'll demonstrate one so it's done on the exhalation and again it's like the buzzing of the bee right into the middle of your brain so you'll take a big breath in and then tongue to the roof of the mouth and it's a And then you basically keep going to the very very end. I've got five minutes big, later, big ass lungs. <laughs> so I can go for a really long dive. Maybe don't go as long as me, but you basically just go for the, the ohm. It's less gut, gut from the gut and more like a honey, like a buzzing bee. So more nasally sounding. So let's, um, let's do just three of them together. And then you can keep going at home alone together. Take a deep breath in. Thank mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: Dude, we're going places. <laughs> An ocean of Bramari. I left the room.
2: Did you hear the vibe at the end there? Let's contour.
1: <laughs> I was really wishing I had my phone when you guys were both doing it in tandem. Well, I, was, I thought I had big lungs. This one over here. <laughs> oh,
0: okay. I know. You know what? When I went to India, I was like, Oh, I thought I could breathe. Yeah, no, I can't breathe. Oh, yeah. Holy fuck, those yeah. guys can breathe. Yeah. You see it's the, impressive. Right
2: when you see their chests,
0: they're like big billow. Like, right? it's like there's a pillow in front of yeah. them. Like, I anger when he got older. He was like all fucking yeah. chest, chest, yeah. Mm. ribby. Yeah.
2: A lot of room mm. for the organs. Lots of organ room. Well,
0: Julia, where can um, people find you to take these
2: online courses and all the bits? Were great things that you have to share. Thank you for asking. Well, this April, May, I currently have. Uh, a spring cohort for a meditation series. So people mm. keep rolling over. It's been happening since last year and that's a two month, eight week journey. And it's a 10 intentionally two months because most neuroscience research says that after eight weeks, that's when we see actual structural changes in the brain. So that's happening in April and May and a part of me, that's happening in, uh, March, April and uh, that's every morning, Monday to Friday. It's all recorded. A bunch of people also show up live. And then I've got my normal um, online digital studio that's three years going strong, Um, hundreds of members, lots of people still showing up live in the morning, but it's also uh, a library of pranayama practices that are a half hour, and they're all themed, and then a whole asana um, library as well. And then I have an actual 30-hour my 30 hour pranayama that's neuroscience informed, but also goes into the spiritual esoteric stuff that's happening in April and May as well. And I think it's the fifth or sixth time, but I've been running that that's online, but it's done in bits and pieces. I've kind of worked with making it much more doable in busy life, you know, post pandemic world now. So that's three days a week and it's, um, two months in April and May. And then I've Probably will have way more when you're listening to this beyond the spring. And I've pretty much planned things three months out and I'm constantly... In quarters. Yeah, in quarters. And one of these days soon I would like to put out um, another, whether it's like a deep dive six-month training or kind of like taking what I would do in a 200-300 hour and doing something a little different for that. Um, But that will be coming down the pipe. Oh, and I've got... Sorry, and I've got one more thing called... offering lots, uh, (laughs) Mm -hmm. called, um, that I'm putting out there for, that's more of a mentorship community once a month, quarterly annual membership for just anybody who's maybe not just in yoga, but the field of wellness and professionals and householders. And that's something that I'm really curious to, to launch as well. That's Mm. happening. It's called at resource full, like F U L L. I like it. And I want some guest teachers on it as well. So I might be calling in one of you as well.
1: Well, I think yeah. we know who that would be. Both of you, or both of you, <laughs> not just one.
2: All <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. great things. Thank you, Julia. Yeah,
1: it's amazing. Thank you.
2: Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for having me.
1: This is the Daily Practice Podcast with...
0: Crystal Borelli.
1: And Andrea Hellman.
0: Yeah, life teachings, life practices. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Om harion.
1: If you want to check us out on the World Wide Web, our website is thedailypractice.life and on there we have all kinds of resources, but we have a free full moon course. It's about an hour long. There's a yoga practice, pranayama, you'll learn a mantra as well as story time and all taught by Crystal Borelli. Hariyam.